Team Athletics Podcast. I got my guys Tevin and Q in here. I'm your host, Kyle Cognitori, and we have the pleasure of having the Mike Bruzewitz, former Wisconsin Badger. How you doing, Mike? I'm good, man. Hanging out out in uh, Litchfield, Minnesota at my family's house and, uh, you know, just trying to enjoy life as best I can while the world pauses out. <laughs> your old roots, your old roots. Is it nice being back? Uh, yeah, it's been nice. I was in a super small town in Lithuania, um, and I got back about a month ago. Um, and then I had to sit in quarantine because uh, I didn't. I came through JFK like two days after that travel ban happened, so I was like a little sketched out about everything. So I stayed in an Airbnb in St. Paul by myself for two weeks, and then came out to the boonies. And it's been lovely. There's space. There's a garden, a dog. I got my old hoop out in the driveway. So life could be a lot worse. You know, I want to go back and talk because your, your story about the coronavirus is extremely interesting, you know, and I want to hear the whole story. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a wild month and a half. So, like, uh, I guess we can start with, like, so everything was kind of going uh, differently in Europe. I was in Lithuania. Um, and it's funny, I was planning on trying to go to Thailand after the season. So I was in the midst of, like, traveling all this stuff through Asia, even though I was – so I was reading about the, the co- uh, coronavirus over in China and just trying to figure out what I was going to do. And then uh, it swiftly came to Europe. Italy started locking down. I had a bunch of friends who have played in Italy, and they, you know, they started canceling games and having no fans. Yeah. Um, and that was probably the strangest thing is when I, I started to see kind of the tide shift as soon as, like, EuroLeague started to go into no fans. So you were watching – EuroLeague games with big gyms that were just empty. It looked like a practice game. So once uh, once that kind of hit, I was like, oof, this could get pretty interesting. Um, and then in Lithuania, what happened was we were actually one of the first leagues to close. So it was the uh, second week in March. Um, Italy had just kind of went on a full lockdown and, and suspended a bunch of games. And there was three or four leagues around us that had canceled their seasons. Sweden was one. Ukraine was the other. Um, Poland was just, had like just suspended theirs. Um, and I think there was a couple of Middle Eastern leagues that kind of closed up too. And, and all, all this was happening and we had games that week. So we were preparing for it and then going right up into it. Uh, we had, we had practice on a Friday and there was a league meeting at like 12. So we had practice in the morning, we're hanging out and the league meeting was going to decide if we were going to, you know, play with no fans, kind of do everything. Cause this was March 13th about, um, we kind of figured I had seen the writing on the wall because the day before um, NBA canceled everything, Big Ten, you know, NCAA tournaments were getting canceled um, or the, the conference tournaments were getting canceled. So for us, it was like, I think they're probably going to cancel our season. Plus in Lithuania, we knew at that point it wasn't going to necessarily be about player safety. It was more about finances. Sure. There was uh, there was about six, I'd say five or six of the 10 teams in the league were having really hard time make, coming up with payments um, they were late on a lot of guys. They had old guys from previous seasons. So looking at it and knowing that they possibly had a, uh, an opportunity to force a, what's called force majeure, which means like act of God and, and on contracts, if that happens, you don't have to pay them out. We kind of looked at that and said, we were sitting in, in, uh, in practice going, I'm like, they're probably going to cancel our season. And this was the last practice we had in the morning. So we were sitting in, uh, sitting in the locker room about noon on Friday, uh, found out that they canceled it. Had to come back, meet with our coaches, had a team party, um, and then the next day packed all my stuff, and I was out on a flight uh, on Sunday. You guys, know, 
You guys had a team party? Like, you guys... Oh, like, oh yeah. Like, up, season's over, screw this coronavirus, we in here. Yeah, we had to. So, like, it was right after... Our, we had a really strange meeting with uh, with our owners and our coaches and stuff because we didn't really get along with them. And then afterwards, we went straight to our captain's house. I went home and packed a little bit. I, I've done the whole team party leaving the next day, so I packed my bags. You know, that move. I'm packing hungover is just not an ideal situation. <laughs> it's just you wake up, you like you don't want to fold stuff. No. Nah. So I, I uh, packed a little bit, and then we went to our captain's house, and everybody drank till about four in the morning. Um, we had a weird encounter with our coaches. It was a strange night. And then the funny part was the next morning, I had we had to go into contract negotiations with our team. Mm-hmm. And our general manager didn't speak any English. So our head coach was the translator. He showed up. I was the first one to go. He showed up an hour and a half late, hammer drunk to this negotiation. <laughs> and I was like, oh, God. Like, I had to deal with this man. And then I had to go pack my house and, and leave a couple of hours later. It was, it was wild. It, and, like, what are you negotiating at that point? Like, how much you're going to get paid for what they still owe you type of situation? or? Yeah, so, like, what had happened with Lithuania is all the owners came to an agreement that said, no, we're going to call force majeure. Um, and when that happens, the team can pay you. Like, the, the way it would work is most teams are going to be like, oh, we'll pay you up until the last day you practice or the last day you worked. Yep. And then the force majeure allows us to not have to pay you the rest of your contract. We as players, we felt like that was a little messed up because we didn't think they did it for the force, like for the right reasons. We kind of understood it was for financial reasons. Right. So a lot of us were pushing to get the full salaries because we only had about a month and a half left. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. So some guys had two salaries. Some guys had three salaries. So the guys who had three salaries were really pushing to get that extra money. Um, And I was trying to push to get my extra money because uh, my contract, I changed teams in the middle of the season and my last payment was actually my biggest payment. Oh, okay. Jeez. Yeah. So I'm a little annoyed because I, I got my payment. Like, my team was okay because they paid us the full month out. Basically, they paid us an extra two weeks. Mm-hmm. Okay. They were like, here's your two weeks, and then you guys can leave. Um, but I, I had missed out on, like, two or three grand. I was like, oh, that was really frustrating. Yeah, no, that's yeah. definitely frustrating. And, and backing up, you said that the party got a little weird. Can you go into specifics on how weird any of this stuff got? Like, what do you, were the coaches? Obviously, he <laughs> the night, the next morning. What do Lithuanians we're do? That's life. what we want to know. Yeah, how do you? Oh, li- <laughs> All right, so so understanding Lithuanian culture. Lithuanians are, are pretty hard-nosed. They're kind of serious people, and mm-hmm. they, they like to talk a lot of shit. Like, they'll make fun of you for everything. They're, like, ruthless in that terms. Cause, um, and so when they start drinking, like – it, some of them are pretty shy. We had a pretty shy team. We had a couple guys that were all going. But as soon as you get some liquor into them, yeah, they start to get a little feistier. <laughs> and so we're hanging out. And our coaches, we didn't get along with our coaches. Um, what's interesting, so my coach there, he, he was the son of a pretty big-time gangster um, in, a city, in a city that was about 40 miles away um, that was kind of recognized as the Chicago of Lithuania. They used to have a bunch of prohibition bunch of mobsters out there so his father's a pretty big time gangster and he sponsors the team what are you signing up for mike that's Dude, i don't know man like <laughs> i was like what is happening so this is our and he's like 35 so he kind of thinks he's one of the boys <laughs> like he thinks we like him a lot we're like no nah, man we, we don't really like you at all so we're scared of you <laughs> not even not even no he's not even scared we're just kind of like you're kind of a weenie like his dad is the one we're scared of he's kind of no. a weenie 
And did like the mob? Did they have like a presence? It was the were like posted up at practice, like lurking in the corners, making sure. No, no, no. It wasn't anything crazy like that. We just kind of know his father was well connected, and and we had to sign a lot of documents about things that really didn't pertain to what we were doing. Tell us about these documents. Well, like so, I think they were laundering some money. It's not that uncommon in in European basketball to have some people launder some money. So one thing was is like after every game, we were supposed to sign. We had to sign this paper that said we got player of the game, and then you got an undisclosed amount of money given to you. But there was no money ever exchanged hand. There was an amount on it. It just said you were given this. You were given, like, a cash prize or something like that. that like, that's what it translated to, roughly. And, and was everybody, like, after the game, everybody <laughs> said they got player of the game, or did they, like, rotate it? It was just one, but then oh, every okay. once, like, once every two weeks, we'd have to sign these documents about food stipends. Like, oh, you got a food stipend. I was like, that's not in my contract, though. You guys haven't given me free lunch all year. <laughs> so, like, some of that stuff was getting signed. You know, there was some transportation stuff you had to sign. Um, I started my season in Greece. when we sh- I signed one contract, and then when we showed up during training camp, we signed, f- I think it was three other official documents that basically said I was only making, like, 1700 a year, like, for, for, like, three months. I was making, like, 800 a month, yeah. basically. And that was all, yeah, that was like all official documents to give to the Greek government. And like every team did this. Oh, they're trying to like tax evasion. Oh, yeah, yeah. All kinds of stuff over there. All all kinds of stuff, man. Like this, you get creative. That's when you have a basketball team, it's it's a tax credit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I like it. So, you know, speaking of some of the gangsters, isn't Peck known for being? Yeah, Peck's a big time dude out there. Like he, he runs a couple of really big nightclubs. Um, what, what's, what's the major city in his, I, what country is he from again? I forgot. Uh, you know what? I can Google it real quick. Hekovic, I heard he parties hard when he was here in Minnesota. Like I've heard so many stories about him just going out and turning up all over the place, downtown Minneapolis. I, I wouldn't surprise. He's European. Um, where is he from? It's one of the bolt. It's like one of those on the Mediterranean sea. It's, yes. it's not, I want to say it's like Montenegro. Of course, my, my computer is being as slow as possible because of uh, Montenegro. Yeah, Montenegro. Yep. Mon- yep, that's exactly where he's from. And what's the big city there? I can't remember the big city. It's um, just X. Serbian? No, it's not Serbian. It's. Um... But it's, so I mean, what I was trying to say is: is he out there cracking skulls? Is he breaking fingers, collecting collecting checks? What's he doing? No, I think he's just kind of hanging out and letting other people do that. <laughs> Cause he, but I mean, he owns two. Like, I almost, I almost signed for a team in, in Montenegro. Um, I looked at it, and the city I was gonna in was gonna be close to the capital, um, and like two of the major clubs, Pekovic owns. Of course. Yeah. So like, he he knows how to party. Those are some pretty high level Mediterranean. Like, that part of the world knows how to party. So. That's awesome. Dude, yeah. It says that he's connected to drug lord Darko Sarge. <laughs> Who's been in prison since 2011? I yeah. mean, that's his guy. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's all like mother. that's all like ex Yugoslavia. So that's crazy. That is so scary out there. Do you think? I mean, do you think people are in there? Just I hear a lot, especially in Greece, not getting paid. But in those other countries, are they just saying, "Hey, uh, yeah, no, it depends." Some, yeah, some some countries are better than others. You know, Greece has been pretty notorious for that. Um, and you know, there's, there's some countries that are really, really safe. And there's some countries that are really, really risky. Greece is like the highest risk. Um, 
if you start to get in some of those more Baltic states like that, that gets yeah. higher risk. You know, Croatia, Serbia is okay if you play for some of the top teams. Um, you know, like uh, Ukraine has been pretty notorious for not paying guys. Um, Italy is is pretty safe. Um, if you start getting into like Germany, your money is guaranteed for sure. Um, if you go to France, France is actually one of the most interesting countries in all of European basketball because they have a players union. Okay. And that's, that's one of the only countries that has a players union that isn't, a, you know, just a domestic league that has a players union. I th- I'm not sure if Spain does, but, um, you know, they, the, France's business model is you have to have all the money up front for your budget for the whole year. Um, you know, you got to pay a lot of taxes on it, but it, it's definitely sleep money. You, you know, you're getting paid that day. If you go to some of the Northern countries, Sweden has, is, is pretty good. Usually, um, uh, Lithuania has become kind of bad. Poland, it's hit or miss about half the teams. So, you know, every team in every league um, is different and it it varies from year to year too. Um, You know, it depends, you know, after this craziness, I think there's going to be a huge, um, I mean, everybody's going to lose a lot of money, especially in basketball. Um, Their salaries are going to be anywhere from 50% to lower, um, depending on the leagues, just because as an economic downturn comes, the tax evasions, the sponsorship money, you know, that we're kind of a, a luxury, um, well, I would how say. How do you think yeah. that'll affect overseas basketball long-term? Do you think they're going to, are leagues just going to completely fold altogether? Or? Yeah, I have a feeling that there's going to be some some big folding in probably the smaller leagues. So you're going to see, you know, there's a league, Latvia, I played there uh, two, or two years ago for a Champions League team. There's two pretty big teams there. Um, that league has had a lot of financial problems because they've changed tax laws there over the last five years. Um, and what happens is they, they combined with Estonia. I think Estonia is probably going to have some problems with that. They're probably going to fall. Um, you know, leagues that have one big team and they're a little bit of a smaller country are definitely going to have some issues with everything. I think the UK league might stay because it was gaining some popularity. Um, and then once you get into these bigger leagues, the bigger countries that could probably sustain it, there'll be bigger teams. You know, Spain is one that, you know, there's so many Euro Cup and, and every there's such a good history of basketball. Same thing with Italy. Um, I think Italy is going to come back pretty strong just because they need something to, you know, entertain themselves. And um, it's a good market there. So some of these leagues are going to just see a massive decrease in the amount of salaries. And you're going to see a much bigger increase of talent go to the G League and stay home this year. Um, mm. I think you're going to see a lot of guys retire early as well because there's just there's not going to be money. Um, and it's going to take a couple of years. That's what happened after the 2008 crisis is, you know, there were salaries, guys, rookies could come out, you know, early 2005, 2006, they could get a hundred K. It wasn't that, it wasn't that challenging. And then the financial crisis hit and everything changed and salaries got significantly reduced, especially rookies and guys coming out. So it's, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens within the basketball world, especially in overseas basketball um, this coming summer and, and fall. No kidding. And you think about a lot of those guys, you know, that's what they depend on. And you wonder how many guys got stuck out there too. That's the other I mean, crazy thing. Yeah. I've talked to a few, um, one of my good buddies, if you probably remember him, Raymond Cowles from Hopkins. Yeah. Yeah. He's out in Poland right now. I just texted him. He just texted me this morning. Um, he, he ended up staying out in Poland and it was advantageous for him cause he got a, he got to keep more of his money. Um, you know, they're letting him stay in an apartment. He's got a car. He's just like, I'm just going to ride it out over here. Um, yeah, I got some friends who are in Italy who kind of yeah, got into that forced quarantine because the Italian league and the government just didn't respond quite as quickly. And then it, once they did, it got pretty harsh measures very quickly. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of guys. Some guys are out in France. Um, I know Jamar Diggs is still out there, I think. 
Um, so it, there's a, quite a few guys that are around the world hanging out and, and kind of roughing this out. That's crazy. I can't even imagine. That was the, the thing that we had Tuck on and Jordan on, and those are the things they were scared of. Tuck was like, I was bolting because they didn't have anything in place. Oh, he was the my first thing smoking. Yeah. He was, he was <laughs> like, I didn't want to be trapped and be some headline story. American basketball player gets corona stuck over seas <laughs> or something. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, he was in Asia, so he got hit first. You know, Tuck was home early with this stuff. Mm. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then uh, it was crazy because I know Jordan Jordan was hanging out in France for a while just because he had to. He had to wait for his paycheck. And, um, you know, the EuroLeague was trying to figure out what they were going to do. And so, you know, it was, it was chaos over there. It was so strange when guys were trying to scramble to come back. You know, I was very frustrated with the league. I was like, man, they, they canceled the season too early. And then, you know, a couple of days later when everybody else started canceling, I was like, all right, cool. I'm glad we got it done early and I don't have to sit here and it's, it's over. Well, then yeah. when you were leaving, you got your flight. What was mm-hmm. that like, that process coming back? Because did they do that heat thing to you, like the temperature gauge and all that? Yeah, so for us, it was I flew out of uh, Vilnius, Lithuania. It's a smaller airport. Um, it was pretty ghostly in there, man. We, we, you know, we got there at about an 8 o'clock flight, and I've flown out of that airport early before, and there's usually pretty decent traffic, and it was, man, it was eerie. Even walking around, like, even walking around the city of Vilnius the night before, I was me and one of my other teammates. Um, we were both flying out the next day. Um, and so it was just, they had just put a lockdown on the city of Vilnius, which is the capital city. Um, bars were all going to be closed at like 10. Um, and this was a weekend. So, you know, and, and it was every place I had gone, I, I know that city pretty well. There's a couple of restaurants. We just went and checked out really quick and nobody was in there. It was it was ghostly. And then going to the airport, same thing, super ghostly, like just kind of eerie. Everybody had face masks. Nobody really knew what was going on because this is right when, you know, things really started to shut down everywhere. Yeah. Italy was right in the thick of things. We're like, oh, that's not ideal. And everybody else started to react very quickly. Um, and then the flights, they, like all of our flights were completely empty, except for the last one I had from New York to Minnesota. Um, so, it, you know, we showed up in, um, I think we flew through Amsterdam. I've been in that airport a bunch. It was light traffic. Wow. Like that, air- yeah, that airport is extremely busy usually. And it was one of the few that was still open. You know, everything was starting to close. And so I was kind of like, oh, man, when we got in the air out of the out of Amsterdam to New York, um, they had closed the borders. Like there was they were like restricting a lot of flights out of Amsterdam. A bunch had gotten canceled. So we were like flying high. I also had the greatest international flight experience of my life. <laughs> I'm, I'm six. No, there was just there was no need to upgrade. There was 50 people on a flight that all 400. So I had four row. I had a full four seat row to myself. <laughs> like the flight attendant was like you have to go to your assigned seat and i'm like oh yeah for sure gonna do that like see how many, you see how many people are on this flight there's exit empty rows all over the place so that was uh that was nice and then right when we landed in um right when we landed in jfk we just had to go to go through customs and it was um man it was nothing like we got on the as we were leaving the flight as we we're leaving the airplane they pointed a radar gun at us or a temperature gun all right you're good here's a card this is what we recommend have a good time so it was that <laughs> easy they didn't really do much they did nothing they did nothing wow like, at all and then like when we were coming through jfk so i'm sure some people had seen on twitter like the craziness that happened because trump had done the travel ban on friday yep and so or maybe it was thursday but like everybody had rushed home then and so like jfk was like 
just, you know, cans and a sardine. Everybody was packed up and my brother was taking me. He's like, just hang out wherever there's space, just hang out. And I was like, all right, sounds good. Cause we came in the next day, like 15 hours after that came into the passport control and it's, you, you got like 15 flights coming in at once. Everybody's touching passports. Everybody's breathing the same stuff. This pa- thing, this hall got packed up with a thousand people really fast. Jeez. So I was like, oh yeah, we, I definitely have this. Like, because there was, <laughs> there's 15, like there's 15, like 15 different flights from all over the world. Right. Spain, everywhere. I'm like, there's no way they clean this. Like this, we're not, we're not prepared for this. So oh, I just kind of, I just kind of sucked it up. Was like, all right, well, this is happening. Well, then your parents though hooked it up with the Airbnb when you got into Minnesota, and yeah, I mean, that was that was a smart move by them. Oh, that was such help because I was probably going to do that anyway, but you know they helped me out and and found one that because there was some cancellations because people didn't really want to take a you know a quarantine person. I'm like, all right, yeah. that's fair, but it was great because uh, you know my parents, um, mostly my sister and my mom, they packed up uh, a bunch of food. Like I showed up to this Airbnb, there was a giant bag of peanut butter M and M's, beer, wine food for a month if i needed it like i just yeah it was good so i was very very fortunate my parents helped me out and um you know coming home was it was kind of a relief it was just kind of like but it was really strange for me because usually when i come home from you know seasons ending it's like all right come home relax see my family for a few days and then i'm like all right i'm gonna go hang out with my friends i'm gonna go do some hood rat shit like what's going on I want to go cause some ruckus and get in some, like, just, you know, I've been sitting in a village for five months, uh, not doing anything, eating chicken and, you know, sweet potatoes. Now let me go have some fun. <laughs> <laughs> so what's it been like not being able to play basketball? Are you going out to the parks right now and shooting by yourself? Well, now at your parents, you got your hoop, but for your two weeks, are you still working out or do you just take off? No, I completely took it off, you know, like after the, you know, when I found out like, okay, nothing's happening. I was just like, all right, I could kick my feet up because there's no way I'm going to have to play basketball for a while. And I had been, you know, really pushing it pretty hard since about July. Um, You know, I really, really ramped up my training schedule about July. And so I've been going hard for a few months and I was like, you know what, let's just let your body figure itself out. Um, I still do like yoga and Pilates. Um, you know, I was in, I was sitting by myself for like two weeks. So I was in a, you know, it's weird being isolated by yourself for a long time like that. Yeah. So I did some things to kind of keep my mind sane. I, I went to a park right around the, like up the street and uh, I found a couple of baskets to do that. But the most entertaining form of exercise was uh, I, uh, I had a nice Bill Murray moment of Caddyshack, but I did it to baseball instead. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was, I was hot that day. I had like seven in the park home runs. It was, <laughs> it was, it was a good time. <laughs> so that was kind of how I kept saying for a couple of weeks and and I ha- I've touched the ball out here a few times um I definitely miss playing basketball I, I more miss watching basketball I've watched a lot of like you know I've, I've made it through a few different final series I think I watched all the way to like 86 to you know I think 2014 2015 okay. finals so far trying to find just as many you know series as I can because it's interesting to watch those old school games and new school stuff but other than that I've been hanging out I've been trying to forget about basketball for a little while and figure out what's what's going to be next for me. No um, interest in the uh, NBA horse games? Dude, that's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I get what they're trying to do, but it's just not streamlined. Like, it's just, you know, I can't do it. 
The internet's give me, all shaky. Give me dodgeball. Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I need some, I need some, give me, like, international hacky sack competitions or something. Like, I'll do that. <laughs> so with the, uh, you know, being all settled in, is it just, man, the, the working out, though. So you, you're sticking to the Pilates. You're sticking to what else was it? Yoga, you said? Yeah, yoga, just some stuff that, like, different type of movement stuff that I've gotten into over the past years. Like, uh, I've done Pilates for seven years now. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so one of my teachers, she's doing online stuff. Um, so I actually worked out with her this morning. And I was the youngest man by I was the I was the only man, and I was the youngest by like thirty years. <laughs> and I did and I did the worst. Right? Oh, I believe it. <laughs> I believe I was, I was getting like my, her name's Nancy and she was killing me talking crazy to me. Oh, it's great. I had a good time. I'm a professional basketball player, miss. Okay. Do you understand? Right. Yeah. She, yeah. She laughed at me though. She goes, yeah, you're, you're half the age of everybody here. Good job. I'll show up to the next, <laughs> the next session. I said, all right. If anybody's used to being essentially quarantined though, you'd think it'd be professional basketball players being out in different countries kind of isolated already. Yeah, definitely. I would say if, if anybody who is built for something like this, the people in my profession are definitely built for this. Um, yeah, you know, I was coming home and it was nothing had really changed other than I just didn't get to have, you know, basketball as an interaction. But, you know, still the same thing. I was still talking to my family on FaceTime. I still talked to all my friends on FaceTime. So in terms of that shift, um, that mental shift hasn't kind of happened for me because usually there's like, you know, when you come home, there's a thing called, um, oh, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, it's, uh, the five stages of, oh, travel shock, uh, okay. or what is it? Yeah. Um, or the culture shock. Yeah. It's five okay. stages of culture shock, kind of like grief. Yeah. So you come back home and things are a little weird and there's a thing called reverse culture shock. So for me, it's, I've had to go through that without seeing my friends. Yeah. So that mental shift hasn't quite fully gone. So that's, that's been an interesting, uh, change for me. Was your biggest thing out there though? The internet, everybody tells me the internet's your saving grace overseas. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, you know, it allows me to talk to quite a few of my friends. Um, you know, I talk to my parents quite often. Um, and then I have a couple of friends that just live in different countries over there. And, um, you know, it's nice cause I have my core group of, you know, four or five people that I can communicate with and bounce ideas off of. And, Hey, I'm kind of having a shitty day. Like what's up? Like, oh yeah, we got you. So, you know, you got your, you got your virtual support group, which is nice. And then if you're fortunate, you have, uh, you have some good teammates. Um, it just, it varies though. That's the one thing, you know, I have a couple, it's usually one or two guys on a team that, you know, you kind of hang out with and bounce ideas off of and get pretty, pretty connected with. For me, it's always point guards. I don't know why it's been that way. Just almost every team I get along with my point guard really well. That helps. Try to get the ball a little bit. Yeah, try to get the ball a little bit more, you know. Speaking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the other questions I had, I heard that you were on the team. I don't know if it was the same exact time. But you're on the team of the ball boys. No. So what happened was, is I had played for them the year after the year after. Okay. So they had that crazy coach. Um, yeah, he's, a, he's nutty. First of all, like the way they handled that, like I didn't really any, watch any of like the ball with the family or whatever it was, but I, I did pay attention to like how they talked about this dude who was coaching and he's an okay offensive coach, but just in terms of what you have to deal with, First of all, he's like alcoholic. Yeah, Lavar wasn't having it. Lavar was <laughs> nah, not having it. Like, like it was, it was crazy. So we had to go and I lived in the same city as them. You know, ate at the same spots that they did. Dealt with the same head coach. 
Um, the one interesting thing that we had is, so after the Ball Brothers came there, there was a very famous set of twins, especially in European basketball, called the Lorenovich Brothers. Okay. Um, or Larinovich uh, Brothers. And so they're both seven foot tall. They're both, no, nah, they both got games. So one's, one's won a European championship. The other one's won a EuroLeague championship. All, like both of them played at extremely high levels. One got a contract to come and play with the uh, Toronto Raptors. But he couldn't get a visa because it, him and his brother had went to a uh, had went to prison when they were nineteen because they had raped a girl by basically bringing one girl home and then passed her back and forth between each other. But they didn't tell her that they were just oh kind of like, God. "Oh, you come on in, brother, and go." So then they went to prison for a couple of years, and in prison they played against each other every day, and they were seven foot tall at that point. So oh they became super talented basketball players, played for the national team. Um, Darius, the the probably the better one, Darius. He played for Real Madrid, Fenerbahce, uh, Seska Moscow, um, I think Barcelona. He's played all over the world. His brother played for a, a big team called Dinamo Sassari. Um, he played in Italy top division, played in Russia top division. Like these two dudes had game, and they were forty years old when I played with them. <laughs> <laughs> so we had a different. Like it was really interesting because they went from the Ball brothers to like pretty famous, you know. Americans to the two most famous twins in all of European basketball the very next year. And you were on the squad. I was on the squad. We had, we had a bunch of old school legends. I had four guys on my team that had won Olympic medals. Jeez. Yeah. Four guys, uh, three had won a European championship. Um, bunch of them had won European cups and stuff like that. Like, and I had, I had two guys on my, or, yeah, two guys on my team had won two EuroLeague championships. Yeah, so like it was, it was really interesting. Yeah, and we, so the thing was crazy is we were a really small budget Lithuanian team. We were probably the sixth or seventh lowest budget in the league. Okay. Our whole like parking lot was like Range Rovers, Mercedes, like Audi A set, like super high end cars because all these dudes had crazy money from just playing for a long time. It was it was a pretty interesting half a season. <laughs> It sounds crazy. I, you know, I did actually, when, when Marcus told me that you had played on that team, I guess he didn't know for sure if it was the same time or not. Then I had to do a bunch of research on it. And yeah, that coach did seem like the weirdest dude. Uh, he's a strange, he's really good. He's really good at wooing sponsors. He's really good in a party setting in terms of understanding defensive concepts or just what is actually happening during a basketball game. Also, he's nervous. He's like a nervous little Nelly. It's the funniest thing. He like shakes when he signs things. It's really it's. We have a lot of conversations about that. If we wanted to go, we I have stories for a long time about that man. <laughs> so, out of all your places you played, where was your favorite place to play? Um, man, I I really enjoyed playing in Greece this year. My coach was a little nutty, and he was nervous too and angry. But that's fine. Uh, but in terms of, like, living places, Greece was amazing. Um, I lived and played in Jerusalem. I didn't really get to play in Jerusalem, though, because I was trying to get an Israeli passport. Okay. And that, that kind of failed because I'm not Jewish. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so one thing is, as you understand, uh, if you know anything about Israeli basketball, you have to have two Israeli national players on the floor at all times. Okay. So if you get an Israeli passport, you count as a much smaller group of people that are much more important to teams. So you can increase your value as a basketball player exponentially. Plus, Israel's a dope place to play. Um, really good weather. 
uh, super good weather, food is amazing, and Israelis love Americans. Really? Oh, they're all about us. They're big fans. That's awesome. <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> yeah, so, like, and uh, the culture is really open. It's, it's really nice. They, you know, Shabbat, they have uh, Shalom or Shabbat. Um, and Shabbat's are Friday. So the way your schedules work, like works out in Israel is on Friday afternoon, you have to have a day off from Friday at like three till six o'clock on Saturday. So that's an automatic day off, like no questions asked. That's dope. Um, and you have dinner and stuff like that. And, uh, the league itself is actually a, a really high level league. Um, you know, the Israelis aren't super high level, but the Americans they get are because the money's pretty good. Um, and the lifestyle is just so nice. It's, it's probably the most Americanized place. Think of it like Miami with more religion. Isn't that where Ike played? Yeah, Ike, uh, Isaac Roosevelt played there for a long time. He, well, Isaac had a, a passport, Israeli right? passport. Yeah. Yeah, because he, he, uh, he went to Jewish, uh, he was raised by a Jewish family. He was adopted right. by a Jewish family. So he played there for a long time, made quite a bit of money doing it too. So you, essentially you just need to convert and then you might get your shot. I tried all that, and there was just some things I wasn't willing to do. You know, I. I You're telling know, you, I, you got to cut your hair. Is that what it was? No, there were more just like you got to, you got to like, you have to have a full conversion. You might have to go to the military. Like it was oh, going to be a lot. Yeah, it was going to be a lot of money. I was just, uh, I was just kidding about the hair. I was just, I was bringing that up because I know that's that's one of the most famous things you're known for. Oh yeah, the hair is why I almost got the Jewish passport. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I understand that. No, so when I was in college, there was a there was a stream, um, like my sister had sent it to me, basically a Reddit stream of is Bruzewitz Jewish? <laughs> like, and this was, there was a couple of articles like questioning because apparently Bruzewitz is very German, but okay. the wits at the end apparently is throwing people off a little bit. And I had a giant like curly afro. <laughs> Yeah, you had a huge afro. You had the Cosmo yeah. Kramer at one point. I did. You I had cornrows. I've had a good cornrows, dude. Yeah, I've I had, know. I had the high top fade for a while. That was nice, like nice little taper on the line. Like it was the, good. The Jackie Moon afro too. I mean, yours was yeah. incredible. I had a big one. And then you yeah, had so the buzz cut. And now the super long hair. Yeah, my hair is like down past past my chest. It's been seven years since I've had a haircut. Basically, since I lived in last haircut I had was seven years ago in January. Holy crap! I I did it in a in a gym. My teammate, uh, one of my teammates, um, he's a secret agent, by the way. My teammate who cut my hair, one of the more interesting people I've ever met. Um, he has three passports: an Israeli, a Danish, and an American. He's like a secret agent. Can get it like speaks a couple different languages. Can get in and out of everywhere he wants to. But he was the one who cut my hair. Um, and yeah, I was in the gym, and that was the last time I had it done. Dude, are you ever thinking about bringing back some of them Wisconsin Badger days, that, that high top fade, any of that stuff? Nah. Do you, okay, so I'll give you some inside information. That's not my natural hair. It's not? N no, my hair is really straight and long, as you can see. So if you, you can know see on the video. Yeah. I was texting John, or Jordan about that. I literally asked him, like, yo, did you get a perm? I had an yeah. afro growing up, and if I grew my hair out that long, it would not turn into doing what yours is doing. Yeah, yeah. So mine's like this, right? Uh, so when I was in college, like basically when I was younger, uh, my brother came back. My brother's five years older than me. He played offensive line at Princeton. And he came back and he had a giant afro because he has curly hair. And I was in like seventh grade and eighth grade and I was extremely like had some extreme hair envy. I was like, dude, that's so dope. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want that. And um, so 
my dad my dad at the time was like well you have long enough hair because i played hockey at the time and he's like you have long enough hair just get a perm i'm in seventh grade it's way too awkward i'm already getting made fun of enough like i don't need to add that to the rest of it so i uh i just kind of like that always kind of stuck with me and then in college i was just like well this could be entertaining let's have an afro let's let's see my brother had one in college why don't i so uh, i grew it out in the summer um, like after my freshman year, uh, I grew it out from like end of freshman season to the next summer. Um, and then right before we came back for the fall, like I came back with an Afro, my mom had permed it. So my mom <laughs> did all that stuff. She had, she had permed my father's hair back in the day and she's done a bunch of hair. Like she cuts our hair. She's, she was one of 10. So she had to do all, she became the hairdresser of the family when she was growing up. So she's done a pretty good job with us. And yeah, it was about two hours of intense letting twisties come in and then like the, the process is intense you got to have somebody twist your hair up with the curlers and then you have to put the permanent in and for white people permanent means to not relax your hair but you actually tightens it up okay and that's how it happens so it's like you got to sit there put all the, the chemical in and put a plastic bag over your head and your whole like skull burns Burning. for about an hour and a half so then you're and over you just, all that quick yeah, and I had a, I did that. I think I did that five times in college. Devin, you okay over there? Bro, sorry, Crockett just called me because I told him to be on the show. Okay, we'll <laughs> try to FaceTime. Sorry, you remember John Crockett, right? Tatino Gray. Yeah, yeah. That's who's calling him right now. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, so I had all that. So I will not be doing any of that anytime soon. That hurt and burn. I'm good. I How like often where I'm at you right have to now. do it when you were. I had to do it about about every three and a half months. Oh my god! Well, it lasted a lot longer. You said, huh? Did your teammates roast you when you came? Oh, for sure. Oh, they were they were like, "What is wrong with you?" What and then, the only thing that stuck with you was the most clever thing they they said to you. It wasn't my teammates that said anything because I already knew. Like I, had a, I, had a, I was pretty self aware. I mean, I had ginger jokes growing up my whole life, and so like you know, the Annie, semi pro, all that stuff. You know, Opie, all that kind of stuff. I've had before. The funniest one for me was when I was at Michigan. And we're on the warm-up line, and I'm going through warm-ups and finishing a layup, and then I'm coming back. One of the student sections says, who set Richard Simmons on fire? <laughs> and I cried loud. I was like, who said that? Because that was <laughs> phenomenal. I was so excited when I heard that one. I was like, all right, that one kind of hurt, but also thank you for that. I appreciate it. Yeah, but it can't hurt if you're, you're basically trolling everybody else. Oh, for so sure. I mean, I, oh, I, I mean, that was kind of the point is like, all right, I'm a ginger. Good for me. Like, all right, well, then I'm going to let you know that I am, and then I'm going to play well with it. So that was kind of the whole goal is I had to I'm kind of just force myself. Whole team. Yeah, just try and play harder than everybody here because – and you're going to go, okay, that ginger was pretty good. We're good. We got it. <laughs> dude, and, and you brought it on the court too, dude. You, you would play hard. That was one of the, my favorite things about you is I knew every time you're going to play, you're going to be really gritty. And in your position, it's such a great system for your position at Wisconsin. Yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting. I wish, uh, I wish for me, I would at, at school, um, I wish I would have kept off a little bit of weight and played more of the three. Cause what happened was, is when I showed up, they had John Luer and Keaton Ankerville. John probably, if he doesn't break his wrist, his junior, year, he goes in the first round as a junior, he was having a great year. Um, and then Keaton Ankerville shot like 45% from three. Yeah. So like for me, it was, it was going to be kind of harder for me to, um, get some minutes at those. And I kind of anticipated coming in and trying to play the three because um, they had like Tim Jarmus and Ryan, Ryan Evans um, and Rob Wilson who were kind of going those spots. So I was like, yeah, I probably could find some minutes in between there as a three and a four. And 
they kind of just stuck me as a four, which was, you know, it's a great, great system for pick and pop, pick and pop big man. Um, you know, it, it just kind of it depended on on the matchups, and a lot of times I would end up guarding fives and stuff like that. So they used me a lot more as a, a defender and a role player um, yeah. in my college days, and that's definitely changed now. <laughs> well, you were you were kind of like a I don't want a point forward. You were kind of a playmaker in high school. Yeah, that was that was my thing. I, I'm able to put the ball down a lot more, and um, that's kind of my game now as a professional. It's it's definitely changed. Um, you know, I'll take charges in big games and stuff like that, but I'm not taking a lot of charges um, in regular season games. Um, I'm a much better shooter than I was. And um, that's the thing I like to be is a pick and pop four playmaker. Um, Cause that's, that's really one of the harder positions to guard. Um, and I'm very thankful for that, especially as the, the game has changed into being such a stretch, uh, you know, a stretch position. And um, it's been fortunate for me because the game is kind of molded towards my game, uh, uh, you know, being being able to be successful as a smaller uh, power forward yeah that's awesome man it's been fun watching you and again man the, the hairstyle is one of my favorite things about you the cornrows was one of the one of the coolest things you were doing that what was that same time as jt was doing it around that same time yeah i think so i think so i don't know i'm i'm probably i might go look back to cornrows i'm kind of bored we'll see what happens here hey, see if it'll hang out it'll take a long time to braid that hair <laughs> we got I got nothing but time. Nothing but time. <laughs> right, like, <laughs> the only thing I'm really concerned about is like right by my ears and right by the connectors right here. That's oh, the only. It hurts. It hurts. Like I had cornrows growing it... up. It's like oh, it just feels like somebody's pulling the hell out of your hair 24 seven. Yeah, so that's the only thing I just don't enjoy. But other, every other part I'm okay with. <laughs> well, Bruzewitz, it's always a pleasure having you on, man. I really appreciate you talking with us. Your story is amazing. We'd love to have you back on again in the future. Uh, yeah, I'm always around, man. Around. Thanks. I got, I got Appreciate it. Got He's one. got one more. Well, I got oh, okay. What's up? Because I grew up in uh, Wisconsin, so all my friends, huge Badger fans. And so yeah. I was, anytime we talked to Badgers on the show, I'd let them chime in and figure out what they got going on. But uh, they were talking about, they still to this day still talk about you guys upsetting uh, number one Ohio State back in the day. What was that game like? You guys, is there anything that sticks out in your mind as kind of going in there as underdogs and coming out victorious? That game was, first of all, that game was lit. it was so lit like to set the stage like i remember like they hadn't lost yet um they had just they had just came back against uh i think either michigan or somebody and had a big like comeback win um the game was on a saturday so it was college game day like dickie v and everybody was there um i think it was a one o'clock one o'clock start um we had had shoot around that morning and i walked up we had uh, food at the cap we had food at the gym and when I walked out of shoot around or to go get after, like after breakfast, walked down and the line to the Cole center, like to get in for tickets already started and it was past like the surf. So it was about a block and a half, two blocks long. And this is at like 10 o'clock in January. It's cold. So I came out. I remember, I remember I walked out and I just like started hyping up the people that I was like, thank you guys so much for coming out. Like we're going to have a good time. We're going to get this W. So that was really entertaining. And then the actual game itself, like, I remember it was probably the loudest arena I've ever played in. Jeez. Like, and I've played in some super loud spots because right when we were coming back, we got down, um, I think we were down 15. Like, Sullinger had got a backdoor layup. Mm-hmm. And then Jordan hit a three. Um, I think Ryan Evans hit a, got a bucket, and then Jordan just started getting busy. And I remember after he hit that, he, he hit a three, like a hesitation three on the left wing. Like, I was on the floor. I went to go get a rebound, and he splashed it, like, 
that was no, there was no louder point in my life. I've been at like bass nectar concerts. I've been at a lot of places and that was like so much energy on the court. It was crazy. And then uh, the other one is like, I hit a big shot. I, I hit a shot. To, we were up two, and uh, I hit a shot from the three, uh, the three point line or like uh, I hit a big three from the top uh, with like a minute left to push it to five. Um, and after I hit that, it was like the same thing. Same thing that happened with Jordan. Cause he had just put, I think he had just snapped off like 15 straight. <laughs> And then, like, that last three was like, oh, okay, we're, we're all the way back. So that was a crazy game. And then when we came all the way back, I remember we're in the huddle. We had, like, two minutes left. Jordan was like, we're going to win this game, and then we're going to go have a great time. Like, that's what we're doing. <laughs> like, we're winning this game, and then we're going to go have some fun. Let's do this. So that was cool. Um, they, you know, they stormed the court. And then, man, one of the funnier things, too, was afterwards I had uh, – I got to go on Big Ten Network and uh, – I think it was Jim Jackson and a couple of the other guys. They uh, complimented me on my, uh, what was it, Bill Walton throwback Trailblazers jersey. It was, <laughs> it was epic. I was like, yes, that was the one I needed. So, <laughs> You got some more, Tevin? Uh, no, nah, man, I think that's – because you guys obviously played then uh, in the NCAA tournament, too, at Wisconsin as well. But you want to dive kind of into a little bit of getting ready for that and what kind of – and you played in the Maui Invitational. Is that literally just going to – Hawaii on like a little vacation you play some basketball or is it completely just a business trip um it's a little bit of both um it was cool because we went out there a couple earlier so I was a freshman when we were out there and when we were out there uh Arizona was out there we played them in the first round um and that was kind of an eye-opener for me because I was I played a couple of games in the uh, early part of the season but that was like an early test it's like Mm -hmm. Arizona had a really good team and then uh who else who else was out there Gonzaga was out there Maryland um, so we had, we had played some really high level teams and it was flying out, um, kind of enjoying life for a day and a half. Cause there's a time difference. So you had to get used to that big time shift. Um, yeah. I think it's like four or five hours. Um, so you had to kind of get used to that time shift. So the first couple of days are just, you know, getting accustomed to the things you had practices, everything like that. And then right when the tournament started, you were like, all right, it's, it's game time. Like it's ready to go. Um, you know, in the beginning they have some, you know, banquets and stuff like that. You get to eat some food and kind of meet up with other teams and just kind of go around the resort. But once the tournament starts, it's, it's, um, it's all business. And then I think we had a day off and our coach, uh, we went snorkeling and stuff like they organized a trip for us, which was, uh, really entertaining, but yeah, it's a lot of basketball and vacation time. That was, that was cool. That was probably one of the nicer hotels we ever got to stay at too, um, which was, you know, you get to see a lot of like how much money the big time college basketball gets to right, to right. spend on things. So yeah, that was really have to give to the players though. Apparently. <laughs> yeah, apparently not. <laughs> right. so, but, uh, but the Maui Invitational, the gym itself is really cool. It's like a small high school gym. Okay. You know, like, uh, yeah, like I would say kind of like old I'm trying to think of the college gyms that are in here. I would say if you put like Concordia St. Paul and you put just another bigger, stage stadium like bigger uh, stands on the side that's about the size of it oh yeah that's not big that's not that big at all no no it's super small and and the locker rooms are just kind of basic um but it's cool then is the crowd that's out there is that mostly like people from hawaii or do you get a lot of people that fly in from like the mainland states that are in attendance so a lot of it for us like wisconsin is really known well known to travel extremely well for these tournaments Mm -hmm. um that's why they get invited to a lot of tournaments it's oh, we know you guys are going to come out here and spend money on the city. So Wisconsin always had a big crowd. Maryland, you know, th- those bigger schools that have a pretty perennial um, powerhouse basketball. You know, Gonzaga, they were a West Coast team, so Gonzaga had a bunch of, t- a bunch of fans. Arizona did as well. So, And the thing is, is if you have some more northern states, 
generally speaking, they, they travel very well. So it was cool for us. Yeah. And then, then my last question is, so being from Minnesota, going to Wisconsin, obviously when you left Minnesota, you know, the, you were what the Gatorade player of the year here in Minnesota. So you're very, very well known. A lot of people wanted you to go to Minnesota. Did you, how bad or did you, or how bad did you get booed the first away game when you came back home? Oh, everybody hated me. Like, even my own, like, high school friends. Like, I had a bunch of friends that, like, the year before were, like, they would come to the games at Sibley, and the year before were, like, yes, you're our guy. I'm going to go have, like, dinner after games. Yeah. And they were, like, here's the deal. We hope you score 30, but we hope we lose by 30. Because <laughs> I, I was, like, oh, man, that's messed up. So, you know, they were, like, they didn't really, they didn't care if I scored. They were, like, yeah, we want you to play well, but we want you to take it now. So the first time I caught the ball was – thing on the right wing and everybody just gave it to me right away but you know it wasn't so bad because you know we had jordan taylor and john lure you know jared berger and we had a whole bunch of guys from minnesota that decided to go in um you know that's kind of how it always goes unfortunately yeah yeah i mean one thing is is like i know for us we all wanted to win and and the thing is is you know madison is just a different campus than minnesota um it's a complete like party it's his own city it's yeah you know Minnesota has a big part of Minneapolis, so it's kind of like, okay, it's cool to be out in the city, but, you know, Madison itself is ran by, you know, 18 to 25-year-olds. Yeah. You know, it's what it is, so. You know, it's funny. We just had a debate with Trevor and Jordan and Tuck all about the cities and getting into all that, but Trevor was really trying to say, you know, we have an advantage because of being in Minneapolis, and everybody else is kind of stuck in the middle of nowhere. But then, like you said, to hear that perspective, Jordan never even presented that. Yeah, that's the thing. Is is like Minneapolis, like it's cool, and but you know there's certain places you're gonna always go, and then it's a city, so there's obviously a lot more options. But when you go to those options, it's not necessarily the same camaraderie. Like you have your University of Minnesota bars, and you know there's gonna be students that are gonna go there. Mm-hmm. But in you know if you go out other places in Minneapolis, you're just kind of like okay, they, they have jobs, or you know you're more intermingled. So it's the the amount of tomfoolery that is allowed at those type of venues is not quite as we'll say it's not quite as high level as some of the stuff when you're just in a college town and like, that's it. Right. Like, you know, you can break something and you just, some shenanigans are going to happen. Right. <laughs> Madison, like there's no professional, yeah, the Packers are, you know, within driving distance, but it's like, you guys are the main attraction. Like when I went to NDSU, it was the same thing. Like, yeah, we are why everybody that's it. in town. So we're going to get away with more and it's going to be, we're going to have a lot more fun than like you said, being in Minneapolis surrounded by millions and thousands and thousands of people. Yeah. Some regular Joes, people like us now, <laughs> <laughs> you know, tapping back into that with uh, the Minnesota versus Wisconsin, what was that recruiting process like? Were you interested in Minnesota at all? I mean, I was, um, so everything kind of happened my junior year. Um, it was crazy. I, I got a bunch of, I had some interest from mid majors when I was 16 and then um, my junior year, we played against Hopkins. Um, and that was when they had, uh, like, DiLoretto. Who else was on that team? A couple other seniors. But, I mean, it was Mike Broghammer, Marcus Williams, Trent Lockett. Um, Royce wasn't on that team yet. But, you know, they had, they had a squad. Yeah. Um, and I had, I had, like, 25 and 12 or something like that. I played super well. Um, and then I got a bunch of scholarship offers after that. And, and the other thing, too, is, like, Minnesota was, had just really hired Tubby Smith at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, it was Tubby Smith's first season. And then if you, if you look at the recruiting class, they had Rodney Williams and Royce White. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I probably – I never actually ended up getting an offer from the Minnesota Gophers. Um, 
it was, you know, Tubby had only really seen me play a couple of times and I had already committed to Wisconsin pretty early. And the other thing is, is like, yeah, they would have offered me, but Royce kind of does the same. Me and Royce did a lot of the same stuff. Me and Rodney were going to play similar positions, you know, like they did different things and I did different things, but we were all going to kind of have to mesh together. And for me, it was, it looked different for them too, is, you know, Royce White's a top 25 commit uh, recruit and Rodney's a top 50 guy. I was a top 100 guy, but you know, I was like 89 or hundred. I can't remember what I was. Yeah. So, you know, like in terms of who they're recruiting next year, there was a reason they didn't offer me that before they offered those guys. Oh, Hey, we got these two guys. They're top 50. Come and play with them or Yeah. We got this dude who's a top 50 and this guy who's the top 100, you know, the, the, the optics look a little different. So, and the big thing for me is I wanted to win. Yeah. You know, like I looked at like the program, I was like, like when I committed to Wisconsin, they were top five in the country. Uh, that was the year they lost to Davidson. So I was like, you know, they had just about won the Big Ten that year, I think. And I was like, I'll have a top five team in the country. It's close to home. Madison's cool. And they win. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. Like, that's, that's, that's it. Like, every year you're going to a tournament, every year you're winning games. Like, and that was my biggest thing um, when I was in high school. Now, if I would have looked back and I would tell myself, do you want to win or do you want to make money? I would have chose a different school. Yeah. What were some of, some of the programs that were that were interested in you other than Minnesota and Wisconsin? Um, so I had offers from Iowa. Um, Tony Bennett was out at Washington State still. Um, I, I actually really liked Tony Bennett. I talked to their assistants quite a bit. Um, had uh, had we not seen on, like the writing on the wall was he was probably going to leave the next year, I probably would have given him a much bigger – I probably would have really enjoyed playing for him. Um, but I had, uh, I think I had Northern Iowa. I had like Green Bay. So I had some smaller ones. And it's, it's funny, the two visits that I only took were to Wisconsin and Valparaiso. Um, Valparaiso is almost where I went because they had a uh, Homer Drew was there. Didn't they have one of your old teammates too? Didn't Chris go there? Yeah, Chris, Chris Alverson went there. Yeah. Um, so it was cool because I, I went and visited Valparaiso. It was just, it was just a little too small, but Homer Drew was super cool. And, you know, there was an opportunity for me to play super early and, and be heavily involved. And that's kind of what I was looking at. Um, it was just too small of a city. I couldn't do, I couldn't go from Litchfield uh, to, you know, St. Paul, Minneapolis area back to <laughs> Valparaiso, Indiana. I just couldn't do it. <laughs> you said you yeah, you would have picked a different school if you would have been looking at like making money. What school would you have given more consideration to if you were trying to just get that money? Um, for me, Valparaiso would have been a much heavier consideration, but I, I wish I would have maybe waited for a West Coast school. Um, just in terms of, you know, at the time, like the other thing too is like in when I committed to Wisconsin, like the Big Ten was like the primo conference. Right. It was like the Big Ten and the ACC were like the two top conferences. Um, and I didn't really get a lot of interest from the ACC, mostly because my AAU team didn't play out East very much. Um, but I got a lot of West Coast offers, and I and I really liked how the Pac-10 was playing at that point because Pac-10 is, is a pretty athletic and up-and-down league, and it really is what morphed – you know, the NBA really morphed into that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like if I would have been able to play, kind of play in some of those styles, it would have been uh, maybe a little more fortuitous for me just in terms of, you know, transitioning to a professional game because I also grew up playing a professional game. Um, I was fortunate – like me and Anthony Tucker, we worked out with – I played with Chris Carr. Yeah. Um, and so I was playing, you know, with Chris Carr, uh, Troy Hudson, um, you know, Chris Humphreys, guy named Jared Reiner, John Thomas. I was playing with those guys when I was 15 and 16, and they had taught me to high, like how to play at a high level of professional basketball. 
Um, and, you know, going to college was a little bit of a shift because I felt like I was more fitted to be a, a pro a pro style game than a college game. You know? Yeah, I can see that for sure. It just rewinding it a little bit back. Did you ever have any moments? Uh, this is a weird thing, too. I'm talking about your ex-teammate, Jordan Taylor, two ex-teammates because Tuck was one of your teammates, too. Mm-hmm. Um, they had the experience with, with Munson where Munson just told him, you know, I don't think you're D1 players. You know, and that kind of weird situation that has plagued the Gophers. I mean, Munson was different, man. Munson, like, I went to camps with Munson, um, and I didn't really like him as a coach anyway. It sounds like the only person I've heard that said he liked him is Vincent Greer. Yeah, because Vincent Greer got to do whatever he wanted. (laughs) (laughs) Like, he literally was like, here you go. (laughs) like i'll run all the stuff for you yeah of course guys like that but and you know vince was he got off that was good yeah he was good yeah vince is great um but yeah i mean i've never had coaches really ever tell me that i had my high school coach tell me that um my high school coach in litchfield uh we had had a conversation i was training a bunch when i was 16 and you know, we had a, a disagreement where I didn't want to go to like a high school tournament because I was about to go to this uh, AAU tournament in Indiana. I was like, I want to be fresh for this. I'd been, you know, training all summer, um, mm-hmm. you know, playing twice a day, doing two a days, workout, workouts with Chris Carr, and then, you know, playing a bunch. And so I was like, I want to be rested for this tournament because this is a live recruiting period. And we got into an argument and he basically said I should be, you know, focusing on football and not be a basketball player, <laughs> despite already having schools like reach out to him. So he's selfish, essentially. Uh, I don't know. It was it was like a weird thing. Him and his like his sons were you know very high level basketball players. His son was John Carlson. Okay. He yeah. played in he he played in, he played in the NFL. So mm-hmm. he held a bunch of held a bunch of rebounding records here. Like I broke a few of those. Like you know like it was there was a whole bunch of small town dynamics that go into all that fun stuff. <laughs> it was quite the interesting ride for you, man. It was really cool talking about it all, and we'd love to have you back on if you ever want to come back. Yeah, man, I'm chilling. So I had a great time. Thanks for having me out here. Appreciate you setting it up. All right, for sure.